Hello, I'm Alessandro Miro and I'm 510. You don't need to slate. This is an advertisement. Just tell them about the show. What show? The one you do, you know, where you mess up every audition? I mess up audition? Yeah. How to make it in Hollywood when you're foreign AF? What's that? Your YouTube series. Ah, the one where I become movie star? Sure. Yes, okay. Uh, radio people, hello. Uh, subscribe to Almiro Studios channel on YouTube and watch How to Make It in Hollywood when you are foreign AF. That was so great. We're just going to need to take that again with no accent. The listeners might not be able to understand you otherwise. Why can't you just put subtitles? You no, know we're on the right. Just try British accent. How to make it in Hollywood when you are foreign AF, like, like... Yeah. I'm just gonna do it. Watch How to Make It in Hollywood when you are foreign AF on YouTube channel Almiro Studios. Don't forget to subscribe. And follow me on Instagram at foreign AF series. That's foreign AF series. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Firminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T. Capital W. Today... I am so, so, so happy to welcome Vincent Gale to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Where to begin with Vincent Gale? He's an award-winning actor who has absolutely appeared in your favorite Vancouver series or film. Battlestar Galactica? He was Chief Peter Laird. Stargate Universe? He was Morrison. Bates Motel, Father and Son, Supernatural, Hector and the Search for Happiness, Supergirl, Arrow, Sanctuary, Cold Squad, The Outer Limits, 21 Jump Street, Neon Rider. He's been in it. He's won awards for it. A Genie Award in 2002 for Last Wedding and a Leo Award in 2019 for one of my favorite Vincent Gale roles. That of Phil Fleischman, also known as Flesh also known as one of the most tortured and complex characters in recent years on sci-fi's bonkers vampire apocalypse series, Van Helsing. I suspect one of the reasons that Vincent is so versatile on television and film is because of his passion for the theater. I remember seeing Vincent in a production of Venus and Fur on the Granville Island stage, and I remember being astounded. So today we're going to do what we always do, which is talk about the work, capital T, capital W, with one of its most ardent practitioners. We're going to talk about Phil Fleischman, including where he hopes flesh is right now, and hashtag theater life. Vincent Gale, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thanks for that incredible introduction. You're welcome. (laughs) Before we go anywhere else, I'd just like to say... Thank you so much for what you do for the community. It's really, really incredible. I've been listening to your podcast since you asked me to do this, and uh, and the work is incredible. Thank um, you. As is the way you support the local industry. So thanks for everything you do. What a way to guarantee we're going to have a great interview, and I'm going to be top of my game today, Vincent. 
thank you so much. I mean, I feel, I feel, I was tweeting about this today. I feel very hashtag blessed uh, that I get to do this work. I mean, it, it's literally the, it's a dream of mine. Like this is right. not that when I was a little kid, there were podcasts, you know, where people could sit down and talk to their, their favorite people. But this is, this is like, this is play for me. This yeah. is so fun. So I do need to make a disclaimer. Uh, so regular listeners, of which you are one, know that we essentially record in an alley. We're right next to some windows, angry organic Whole Foods drivers. Uh, so you're used to those sounds. Today we have the added joy of some construction in the office block. Yes, there's a math school right next door and they're doing some construction to make it more mathy, I guess. So there will likely be some bangs and screams. I don't know. They're doing some intense stuff next door yeah well i mean it'll feel like a little bit like van helsing so but these are really good mics so we're just going to power through all right where do you want to start well uh (laughs) i would say ladies choice okay well i i would love for to hear your reaction then to my thesis statement to that introduction like do you recognize yourself in that description um well, what I recognize in that intro is um, the work that I have done professionally over the last 30 f- or 40 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if that's recognizing myself <laughs> in there. You know, I mean, what it is, I guess, is it's recognizing a small part of myself. Like, yeah. it, you, that used to be a huge part of myself. That used to be, that used to be all that I was or all that I thought I was until I met my wife and until my son came home, you know, and then I realized, oh, it's just this very small part of who I am. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's place has evolved in in your life as your life takes a different kind of shape. I get that. Exactly. I like to, I like to tell assistant directors who I'm working with right now that um, acting is my side hustle Mm. because my real job is just you know, being at home for my son. So you know, yeah, like, how old is your son now? He's fourteen. Whoa! So it's uh, he's he's growing, growing up. up fast. Yeah, becoming a man. Oh, <laughs> so I know. Scary. I know the pain of that. I have a nine-year-old, um, and some days, like the day, will begin with her telling me what she thinks of me, which is not very much, and that she needs to be independent. Uh, and then the day will end with her, like last night, she got into bed and she wanted to snuggle and wanted me to rub her necks, you know? So I'm like, I live for those. I know nine's an amazing age, It too. is. Well, then that's where we're gonna begin. That's where we're truly gonna begin. We're gonna begin with some time travel. Okay. And you can choose your time travel vehicle of choice. Okay, well, I've heard this before, and so I, I know my answer to this, and I'm gonna choose the TARDIS. Thank and I'll tell you, you why I'm gonna choose the TARDIS, because the only fan letter I've ever written was to Tom Baker. <gasps> that was my doctor too. Yeah. So wow. So it was to Tom Baker, and that's the only letter that I ever got back. Well, it's the only one I ever wrote. The only one I got back, and you I got a reply? I got a reply, and it was on um uh, um uh, what are they called? Stationary? Postcard. It was like a postcard oh, okay. with a picture of him and the scarf. Yeah. And it was handwritten. I don't know whether he hand wrote it. Um, or an assistant did, but yeah, it was a handwritten note and uh, it was sweet and I, I loved it. I was, I was pretty excited. That's amazing. Okay, we're getting in the TARDIS. 
We're getting into his TARDIS then. Because, you know, it always yeah. changes after every regeneration. Does it? Because yeah. I really haven't watched since then, since I was nine or oh you have i mean it's a wonderful world awaits you yeah that's it's, what it's different like they don't have the same kind of you know four-part epics where they go and they focus on one story although there are there is a narrative arc to each right. to each season but no it's quite delightful and there has been a, a scottish doctor if not just one there's been yeah well david tennant was a david doctor, tennant right? yeah and, and i think capaldi yeah that's right yeah peter so yeah, yeah peter capaldi so that's been uh some because i I mean, I, I know that you're Scottish. Yeah, originally. I grew up in Scotland. Yeah, so when so. <laughs> we get into the TARDIS and we go back okay, let's go. to let's 1977, go. that's where, well, yeah, 1977. Okay, that's and we so, because I feel like nine, so you're nine years old. Yeah. Uh, nine, it's, it's such a pure version of humanity. You know, you have a, such a, I mean, I look at my kid, she knows what she wants, she knows what she likes, she has a good sense of her dreams, you know, so, so we get to your house. You open the door. Who are we meeting? Well, I I, I would imagine, I, I if I if I if if I time travel back to me at nine opening the door, I think you're gonna find the most fucking precocious child, <laughs> the most unbearable <laughs> child in the world. I mean, uh, uh, when I think back to who I was then, I, I mean, it of course it it created who I am now, but. Uh, but I w was that kid who I'm sure you couldn't tell anything to, who knew everything, who was, you know, I mean, if I was to meet him now, I'd just find him unbearable. Because I really felt, I, I, I really feel like I've gone, as I'm sure many of us do, you know, I've gone exactly the opposite way. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I feel like I don't know anything now. I feel like the older I get, just the less I know. And uh, when I was when I was a kid, I, I, f I felt like I knew it all and... and and I had it all in the palm of my hand. But if you didn't think you knew it all, would you have taken all the risks that you did? No, no, that's you a know? really good question. Because I, I feel like that, I see that in my daughter. She has some moments, she knows everything, and it's like, okay, I take it. But then I'm like, I want to protect that and nurture yeah. that because the world can really also beat you down and then you have to right. rebuild. So I think you should forgive nine-year-old you oh, for, thanks. you know. See, I'm watching, with my son, I'm watching it go the opposite way. I'm watching him come, he's a he's a watcher and mm. he's, he's an observer and he really stands back and I'm like watching him like this flower just open up with oh, every so day, which is, is really exciting. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, difficult because remembering who I was, it's like, you know, you got to, because the world is a big scary place and yeah. you've got to you got to take up some space in it yeah okay so nine-year-old you wait what city are we in or village or town? Well, we're in glasgow we're in glasgow um, okay in in scotland which is the biggest city in in scotland and yeah. that's where i was born that's where i lived um that's where i lived until the early 1980s when okay. my family immigrated to canada um, and what did you want to be when you grew up when well, you're still in glasgow Glaswegian. I was a Glaswegian. Um, you know, I, I, my mother didn't work when, when we lived in Glasgow. Um, she was a mother, and we, she had three kids. Well, that's hard work. Yeah. Um, there was, I was the eldest, and I have two younger sisters. Um, one who's two years younger than me, and another who's seven. Young, seven years younger than me, uh, and that was my mom's job. And she was there in the morning, and she was there at lunch, and she was there at night. And yeah. she 
created just this beautiful environment where we were loved and supported and felt that we could do anything. Yeah, you were allowed to be confident yeah. and precocious. Exactly, and and, um, and my mother was an artist too. She was a, a symphony player, she was a violinist, she was a music teacher, oh. and so the arts were really celebrated in our house and, and everybody played a lot of music and and any interest that you had in the arts were were really taken seriously. Yeah. And so it was around that time that I mean, I was just fascinated. I just loved, I loved f film and television, um, and storytelling, and my mother really nurtured that. And and she taught one day a week at the Royal Academy of Music and Drama, Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, and it was in town, right in the city center, and. My dad was at work, and so we would have to go with her every yeah. Saturday, and we would just kind of hang out in this incredible old Gothic building, and we would just sort of have the run God, of the place. Sounds magical. It was it was pretty cool. It yeah. was incredible. Was it a on a on a Saturday? Would it have been alive with students yeah. as well? Yeah, it was really busy with weekend courses. Yeah, and so every week I kept noticing that. There were the music students who would sort of file in and out with their instruments in their hands into rooms and out of rooms. And then I noticed that every couple of hours there was this throng of kids that would come out of one room and then go back. And they were animated and playful. And, and I kept thinking, who, who are those kids? And so finally <laughs> I said to my mom, who, who are this big group of kids? Like, what are, what are they doing? And she said, oh, those are, those are the drama kids. And yeah. I said, oh, that's what I want to be with the drama kids. Yeah. The energy yeah. of the drama kids. So that's where, that's what I started doing. I started, um, I started taking classes there at the, at the Royal Academy, uh, just drama classes. And it was incredible. I just, yeah. I, I just, I, I loved it more than anything. Um, so I'm sorry, were you articulating at that point though? I want to be an actor. You know, or was it was it more at that point? How old were you at this point by this time? Well, this was when I was about nine. Okay. Nine or, nine or ten, I started taking classes there. I, it, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think I was articulating I want to be an actor, but because I didn't really even know that that's what that was. But I would watch television or I would watch films, and we went to a lot of film, and, and, mm -hmm. and we went to a lot of theater and opera and, and uh, a symphony. Like, we, we were out there. We saw a lot of stuff. We're soaking it um, But there was something about the storytelling on screen that I just, I wanted to know, like, how do I do that? So mm -hmm. I, I couldn't even articulate it's acting. I just, it was like, what they're doing, how do I do that? Yeah. And um, we had Michael Eklund in here and he talked about, you know, being five or six years old and re seeing a Lassie. Film. Lassie, that's right. And then having that experience of like, I want to tap into the into that magic, you know, not saying I want to be an actor. I want to work in film, but like yeah. I want to feel that way. I want to. Yeah. So it was a similar for. It was very similar for me. Yeah. Um, and so. You really have listened to the show. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I've, I've done a deep dive, Sabrina. Wow. Uh, and so when, when I was taking these classes, 
I had no idea, but people would people would come in and out of the studio. We would do a Saturday, say from 10 a.m. until four. Wow! So it was a big day. Yeah. And during that day, people would come in and out, and there was probably a group of 20 of us. And adults would come in and out, and they'd sit in for a little while, and then they'd leave. And I never thought about it. And it turned out that those people were either casting directors or directors from the BBC or from ITV or from wherever. And they were coming in, and they were sitting around, and they were watching kids. And then they were saying, I want to see that kid. I want to see that kid. And so every so often, you would get a call, and it would be to go down and meet with a director or meet with a casting director about uh, a part. And this was, I mean... This, the, I had no um, uh, career ambitions. I had no expectations, and neither did my family. I mean, I was just going to be a part of this group uh, that I loved. Um, but from that, uh, I got cast in a TV show, and that really changed everything. Wow! What TV show was it? It was a a, a serial called The Lost Tribe. And it was written by a man named Jack Ronder, who was already deceased at the time that we shot it. And it was based on his family's story. They were Lithuanian Jews who escaped uh, escaped the country in the early 1900s, and they thought that they were paying um, they thought they were paying a boat captain to take them to New York where uh-huh. they could start a new life, but he dropped them off in Scotland. Oh. And so they had to find their way in this land that they didn't understand or didn't know. And, and what it was, was your role then? W- w- my family were their next door neighbors. Okay. And so there was this huge family uh, who lived in one room, and then we were the Scottish neighbors, and the kids were my age, you know, like within two or three years. And so. There were there were a bunch of kids in their family, and then I was the only child in this in this Scottish family. Yeah. And so we shot this thing at the corporation in a studio, and then also on location in Dundee and Edinburgh. And so I got to experience this location set life at ten. Yeah. And it was incredible just having this having this. Uh, uh, this energy of these children uh, on top of the energy of these adults, these incredible actors, yeah. Fulton Mackay, who is a, um, a very, very well-respected Scottish actor, was one of the leads in it, and a man named Bill Patterson what was the lead. And Bill Patterson recently was in Fleabag. He played Phoebe Waller-Bridge's father in Fleabag. Okay. Uh, and he's been in, I mean, he's been in just everything. thousands, yeah. thousands of hours of television. He's a wonderful, wonderful actor. So that was the, that was this experience that I got to have at that, at that very young age. So you mentioned then that that experience changed everything for you. So wh- what changed? Well, I just decided that I wanted to be with these people. Mm. That whatever and whoever they were, these are the people that I wanted to be with. Hmm. And and you don't just mean do you just do you mean specifically the troupe of actors? Are you talking about no, everybody I mean, involved? No, I meant I meant the sensibility that these show people had. Oh, interesting. This um, and it's uh, in, it's in, I, even now I can't quite put my finger on it, but when I 
when I meet those people, like I'll tell you, Brian Markinson is one of those people. Yeah. Right? He's just, he's that guy. My friend Torquil Campbell is one of those people. It's just, there are just these, there's people that just have this showbiz uh, aura that I'm attracted to. Yeah. Showbiz or, or, committed to art because I think of like I think of showbiz as something a little different uh, maybe I've started to look down at it a little bit but I really shouldn't because I want everybody to be successful but showbiz seems more corporate to me like I think what, what it sounds like you're describing is that like let's put on a show let's let's tell a story let's create this magic together or am I just like completely putting my own judgment no, on that no you're not at all I, I understand exactly what you're saying and for a long time I've called what we've what we do the entertainment industry mm. or the film industry but when I really look deep down into my heart what I'm doing is what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old and it's showbiz yeah like it's the same thing that um, it's it's the same thing that Danny Kay was doing in White Christmas yeah that Marlon Brando was doing in The Godfather. Yeah. It's, they were doing the same thing. Like one may have been uh, a leg extension and a, and a high note, and the other may have been this uh, extraordinary, visceral type of acting, but it's not about what they're doing. It's about what they give us. It's about yeah. what they make us feel as an audience member. You know, when, they, when I work on stage, that's something I always have to remember. It's like people will come off stage and they'll say, you know, how was your show? How was your show? And and people will say, oh, I didn't like it. That that bit didn't go well, or I didn't really feel. I didn't feel good tonight. And and then an audience member can come back and say, thank you so much for the show. It was incredible. And people will gripe and they'll say, oh no, it wasn't a great show tonight. And you know what? It's like fuck that. Because it's not for you. It doesn't matter how you felt on the stage. It's what you transmitted to an audience. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I, I'm still carrying Venus and Fur in I, in my bones. And how many years ago was that? Like, well, it's, I mean, seven, eight years I, now. Thank you so much for saying that. And from my side, I had such a terrible time doing that show. I had such a hard time in that show. Um, wow. For all sorts of reasons, and I never felt good about that show. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because what was transmitted, all that all that's important is that what the writer writes. Yeah. Because all you're doing as an actor, I believe, really all you should be doing is floating those ideas and those words out there to yeah. an audience, right? That's that's what you. I mean, I don't want to get. I don't want to sound. Uh, you're a vessel mm -hmm. as an actor, right? And yeah. you and truly, you're a vessel for the words of the writer yeah. and he, it's my job to transmit those ideas and to throw out the writer's words and ideas so that the audience can grab onto them and and hopefully it, it'll make them feel something i am shocked that to hear that you didn't have a good experience with that show or you weren't happy with it or whatever like i i, I mean I, I could see how it was a challenging show and it was a two-hander and it was kind of saucy and there was a lot of costuming and, and stuff but it's wow you've really kind of illustrated that uh that kind of divide between actor performing and audience member experiencing yeah and i'm wondering you know as somebody who who spent some time really scrolling through your your filmography and reflecting on how many of your roles that that i've enjoyed over the years and we are going to speak to 
specifically about flush uh, in a, in a little bit and kind of dive into that role. But you know, for the most part, are you creatively fulfilled? Have you tapped into the magic for most roles, or is it like a almost like a gamble each and every time that you you step into a new role? Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I, okay, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a, a big wide He's doing swing. a lot of arm and hand Gesticulating. Motions. Yeah. I'm going to do, a, I'm going to take a big <laughs> wide swing at that question. Yeah. Um, 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 so when I started acting, I started acting in television. And then when I moved to Canada, I got a couple of theater shows. Hmm. I got a couple of plays. I ended up doing a show at uh, Stage West in Edmonton with yeah. Gail Gordon and his wife Virginia and a bunch of local kind of TV celebrities. And, and we did this show called On Golden Pond, which, uh, and it was about the year or two years before the film came out. There was just some real heat. The show had been on Broadway. And um, we did a production of that. And, and then I did some work at the Citadel Theater in Edmonton. And I, uh, and I would always sort of straddle a little bit of theater, a little bit of television, a little bit of theater, a little bit of television. Um, and I've kind of done that for the majority of my career. Uh, I've taken my... I, but what I always thought I wanted to do was be a, an actor in television and film. And where what I've realized in my... Gesticulating. ...trajectory is that... I'm a theater actor. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, and I'm an actor, but I, but, but where I feel comfortable, where I get, where I get the most for myself is in the theater. I don't. Television and film are uh, an editor and a photographer's medium and a writer's, um, but they're not. Again, we're in service of 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 those uh, those those artistic skills. Um, and so it's, it's unusual for me to come away from a day on set, uh, and feel really good about the work. Yeah. But uh, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, but it's just a different thing for me, but where I'm really comfortable, what I really love to do is, uh, be in a rehearsal hall for eight hours a day, uh, six days a week for three weeks, just trying stuff and and falling on my face. And I'm not a I'm not facile. I'm not quick. Uh, yeah. I have a difficult time auditioning because I don't I I I I muddle around stuff before I find it. And what you need to do when you audition is you need to like hit the target and hit the bullseye. And that's what, also what you need to do as a as a as a day player, because that's what we are here in Vancouver. Yeah. We're a service industry, and so we, we just we go in and we support the rest of the production. And um, and you got to go straight for the gold. And there are guys who can hit that gold, and you've had them sit in this chair. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
guys that we've already mentioned and mm. and, and and lots of others uh, and I'm I don't feel I'm not really that guy I, I have a hard time so but where I feel like I, I I can excel and I do feel comfortable is in the theater giving me a lot to unpack there <laughs> really it's it's kind of changing my perspective of your body of work to to be sure um Tell me about your, so you mentioned Edmonton and what I love, I mean, I know a lot of, I don't know the the uh, Edmonton theater scene so well, but I do know, I mean, you know, the um, the dancing because I worked in dance for oh, okay. for a while. There's a lot of incredible contemporary dance yeah. and, and fringe stuff cut that comes right, out of yeah. Edmonton. But tell me about your foray into Vancouver, your introduction to the film and television scene here. Why did you come out here and what did you want? Well... I had been working fairly steadily in Edmonton from the time I graduated from high school. I worked uh, as a child. I worked all through my childhood, all through my teen years and my high school years. I was always in and out of school doing films, theater. Um, and when I, the year I graduated from high school, a guy named Bill Fisher, who was an associate artistic director at the Citadel, he said, I'll give you a season at the Citadel. And then you'll see what it's like and you can sort of go from there. So I said, okay. A season as an actor. A season as an yeah. actor, yeah. And I got to do four shows and and then that ended and it was like, well, I want more of that, but nothing. And I did a little bit of television. And then Ann Wheeler was making a film called Bye Bye Blues. And, of course. Um, and I get her was, in here. Yeah, you have to get <laughs> yeah. her in here. Yeah, ends ends incredible, and so I was fortunate enough to be part of that film. Um, and as incredible as that experience was, and it was on its own, what I also knew was now I have the ticket. I can turn this role into a move somewhere, and that mm. move can be to Toronto or it can be to Vancouver. Because I had already sort of come out to Vancouver a couple of times and met with agents. I'd met with like you know Murray Gibson forty years ago when he was an assistant to Bruce Ward, and yeah. and like so I'd, I'd kind of I'd put out feelers, but I knew that what I needed was this this I needed a part that was gonna that people were gonna say, oh wow you, that. and so I came out here and I came out here in 1989 in January of 18, 1989 and Leonard Bunnell had just arrived in town because characters had bought. Um, Morton talent from Marie Morton and I just went around and I sent out all my resumes and uh, and I was lucky enough to get a lot of calls because of that role in Bye Bye Blues and everyone mm. and when I met Leonard he said you know a lot of really good actors read for that role and, and I mean I was fortunate because you know Anne saw something in me but I was also fortunate because I was in Edmonton you know had I been in Vancouver or Toronto I, 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 that might not have worked out for me it's all I mean the business is so uh, predicated on timing right I mean yeah, people call I mean, it luck but it's really timing. talent and but then yeah there is also timing I mean even looking back at you know your time at the Royal Scottish Academy you yeah. had you had the directors and casting agents in there, it you was, know. Like it's all about it, moments. It, as we learn as fans of Doctor Who, you know, something can affect things along the the time space continuum, and then everything is different. Exactly. So I used that golden ticket, if you will, um, to come out to Vancouver. And as soon as I got here, I got a great job. Like within a week, I went out to some auditions, and I got this incredible job. And again, it was serendipitous because. Betty Chadwick, who had been a champion of mine and who had cast me in a bunch of films in Edmonton, had had subsequently moved to Vancouver and she had cast Bye Bye Blues. Mm. She brought me in for this film that John Frankenheimer was directing in Calgary with um, 
um, Roy Scheider, Harry Dean Stanton, Jurgen Prochnow, uh, Tim Reed, like a bunch of guys. And it was this war movie called The Fourth War. And so she brought me in for that. And I got this part. I got this wow. great part. So immediately, as soon as I moved to Vancouver, I got this great part that took me back to Alberta. Yeah. And I got to go back to Calgary <laughs> and, and shoot this huge war epic. And within a week, I was fired from that film. And I ended up... <gasps> Back in Vancouver. That that t story took a turn I was not expecting. Yeah. And so I went from this, you know, the roller coaster was going up, it was going up, it was going up, and then it really dropped. Yeah. And and I got kicked out the other side. And it was a... It was a... Um, I mean, I, it, I was... I was fired without... Um, I don't know what the technical term is. I, I had to sign an NDA at the time saying that I wouldn't speak about it. Um, Are you violating that NDA I'm, right now I by don't speaking of it? I think so. I can't imagine. <laughs> I think I think the statute must have run out on that NDA because this was in, like I said, this was in 89. Um, but yeah, so I had to sign the NDA to even get the cash that was owed to me from the film. And it was... Like it was, it was a bummer. It was a, it was a real drag. Um, and so I was kind of kicked out, and it was like, okay, well, I'll get another job. And I didn't because I got the job. first one really easily. I got the first one really quickly, like yeah. in a couple of weeks. And yeah, and then I went out on a lot of meetings and a lot of auditions, and and it was there. It was crickets. Yeah, there, there was nothing happening. So I like to think of of those kind of moments. Um, the, the slow moments, the, the ones that kick us, is opportunities for learning. No, you're absolutely you know, right. So what were some of the, the things that you learned during that time? You know, and, and how, and I'll follow up, I'll, I'll ask right now so you can integrate that into your answer. But like what, what did some of those lessons at the time, like how did they prepare you for the slow times that, I mean, inevitably come to everybody's career? You know, even like you're up and then you're down and then you're up and then you mentioned the roller coaster. Well... That particular time just made me, because I'd been fairly fortunate up to that point, I'd never, I'd never had a real job. I'd only ever made money acting. And, but now I was uh, living so Can in I a, just say, yeah. can I point out something? You said you never had a real job, never make money acting, and yet now you say that acting's your job, acting's like your side hustle, and then like the point of your life, like I'm just, I'm seeing a, the place of acting in your life was different. Yeah. Than, than what it is now. Yeah, exactly. Putting together a fuller. I'm a walking contradiction. You. you are. <laughs> <laughs> and it's delightful to see this picture materialize. Yeah, well, that's what I've realized. I will say things and then the next thing I will say will completely contradict what I just said because yeah. I just I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> But it's all it's all true, right? I mean, that's all like we're all humans, yeah. and we're all just kind of like trying to feel our way through and stumbling, it, yeah. stumbling around. Yeah, yeah. especially you now you arrive in in Vancouver. Did you find a community pretty quickly when you got out here? Um, did I find a community? When yeah, I got like out here? you know, all of those uh, the uh, actors that you've mentioned before. A lot of them were starting to arrive here, yeah. or were working at that time. A lot of those people were around, and I had a group of people that I was connected to from. Alberta, who weren't mm. in the business at all, and they were the kind of people that I stuck with. Yeah. I didn't really. There was a whole group at that time. Mel Tuck had uh, 
had Gastown. Yeah. And um, he's lovely. Oh yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he he won the John Giuliani Award yeah. last year, and I had this incredible. I mean, it was a very short conversation, but I'm like, I'd love to get you in just to. Oh yeah. To, I want to just peer into your brain. Oh, you and definitely should. All yeah. the people, all the careers that you've influenced. Well, he go my. My wife was at Ryerson when Mel was there, and yeah. Eric McCormack was at Ryerson when when Mel was there, and uh, Brent State. You know, there were just tons, tons of people. It go, and that goes back yeah. forty deep years. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's important to have friends though who weren't in the in the community, who yeah. weren't in showbiz? Yeah, I yeah. really, I really do, because uh, it, my. My life had two very different uh, uh, parts to it, and yeah. and showbiz, the industry was what I did f- to try to make a living. And yeah. then I had a I had a bunch of other friends. I mean, they they started. Uh, the more time I spent here, there was a definite integration. But I mean, we keep talking about your wife. Your wife Jennifer Clement, you know, an actor and acting teacher, uh, won the twenty eighteen Lorena Gale Award from UBCP Actor. I'm assuming. You know that uh, <laughs> you might talk a little bit about the industry at your dinner table. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I I love I have I have the the utmost respect for Jennifer. I remember being so deeply moved by by her speech at you know that night at at the UBCP Actor Awards. What have you learned from from her? You know what impact has she? Oh, everything. To, everything. Everything I know. I've learned <laughs> from her. Not surprised. She's a remarkable She is a being. remarkable but Give me some specifics. Oh, God. Specifics. Um, I mean, besides everything, which is, is pretty specific. Oh, <laughs> Jen is just, she's she's a, an extraordinary woman. Just the way she moves through the world. She's uh, this, definitely the smartest person I know. Um and her family are all the smartest people I know, and uh, they, she just comes from she comes from great stock. Uh, she is smart and passionate and hilarious, um, and but she is so level-headed. Mm. Um, and she has this thing that she'll say to me all the time because if we we'll, if we get into an if we get into an argument or we're 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 we're, we're debating something or we're we're on the verge of fighting and yeah. and she'll say to me just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. Oh, sorry, I need to write that down for so I can bring. No, it up it's incredible. It's, in, it's, a, incre- it's incredible. It's incredible, and she's yeah. absolutely right. And I can feel all this stuff, but it doesn't mean. It's true, and mm. so she has this remarkable ability to really step back. That's so and, hard to argue with. And, oh no, no, it's impossible. <laughs> like, it's, like, so, it's fucking infuriating. <laughs> wow. But, but no, she's a she's an incredible lady, and I mean, I, I can't even, I, I couldn't even begin to uh, uh, synthesize or disseminate all all the the lessons that she's taught me. But she's the greatest thing. Her and uh, and our son, Max, are the greatest things that have ever happened to me. And yeah, I mean, you have uh, that you're Max's dad in your Twitter bio. That's like, I think the first thing in your Twitter bio. Right. Yeah. That's my job. That is your, that is your raison d'etre. Yeah. Is this an industry that you would recommend to Max? I mean, he's watched both, you know, both, both you and Jennifer, like, work in and around showbiz. 
Well, what I want to say is no, it's not an industry I would recommend, but I think what I should do is what my mother did and just say, you should do what you love. Mm. You know, you should, that, that's, that's what, people should just do what they love. I mean, open your heart, uh, look around, and, and, and then go towards what you love and, yeah. and move towards that because uh, there's really, it's, it's too short yeah. not to. Yeah, agreed. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk some specific roles. I've been promising some, okay. some flesh talk. Uh, you seem so unlike flesh. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. Um, and also working in genre, you know, because I mean, that's my, I mean, you're sitting here in my nerd cave. I mean, this that's like my, that's my jam. So we're going to talk about um, the, the joys and, and challenges. I love challenges of, of working in the genre realm. When we come back. Okay. I think that's a good cliffhanger. All that's right, great. Let's take that break. This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Al Miro Studios' hilarious web series, How to Make It in Hollywood When You Are Foreign AF. Subscribe and binge all the episodes at www.youtube.com slash Al Miro Studios. Okay, so we had started talking off mic about Van Helsing, uh, which I love. Thank you. I'm, and we have, I have made it a point to get everybody in here at well, some your point. Well, very first interview. We've, was with Mr. Alex Ponovic. That's right, the big man. comes up so much. I'm actually, I have considered just having him sit here f- in the corner for every interview. You could Be- get one of those big... <laughs> cardboard cutouts of him and put it on the I, door. Is there enough cardboard <laughs> to make is an Alex Bonovic? The answer to that question is but no. I think one of the things that I love about Van Helsing, though, is that like on one hand, yes, it is this bonk, you're pointing at something. Bowie. That is a Bowie Barbie doll. It's a Bowie Barbie doll. Yeah. It's amazing. That Sorry, w- I, I, lo- I lost everything when I saw Bowie. Yeah, I mean, I have, I do have, it, it's, it's kind of, if you're going to be looking off into the distance, it, these shelves are filled with, I got little, little Doctor Who, I got a Jabba the Hutt, I got cassette tapes and VHS tapes and uh, toys that I played. That little Kermit up there, yeah. I was so scared on my first day of kindergarten that I brought little Kermit in my pocket and I held him all day long, you know, and so he got me through. So That's yeah. pretty amazing. So yeah, you, that was my Bowie Barbie doll, but Van Helsing. Pardon me. Uh, I, I mean, on one hand, a completely bonkers vampire, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, genre show. And yet on the other hand, there is this, it's about human emotions. It's about betrayal. It's about, you know, some really, you know, archetypal, concepts which i think is like i mean battlestar galactica was kind of like that as well it was about human drama you know and yet in in the case of van helsing there's also the vampires and mutants and and all the rest but let's talk about phil okay phil fleischman um also known as flesh when we first meet flesh he's a vampire and then he bites vanessa and he's not a vampire anymore. And then we learn all these horrible things that he had done when he'd become a vampire. Uh, and then we see you die over and over again. Yeah. You know, I mean, what a delicious role. <laughs> As an audience member, I have had a lot of fun watching this. But can you tell me about some of the, the joys of portraying a character like this 
in the genre realm? Well, the th- the gift uh, of Van Helsing was um, uh, I've been in the business for forty years professionally, and that's the first regular job I've ever had. Hmm. That's the first time I've ever got to go to work for more than one season and with the same group of people and uh, feel that kind of, that zone of, of comfort and support mm. and, and that playground where you feel that you're, anything is possible because I'm supported uh, in, in whatever I do. You, you know, like as a, as a as a day player here in Vancouver, it's uh, you know you're you're at the service of other things, and so whenever you go in, you just tr- you try to hit that bullseye, yeah. um, and you try not to take up too much space or too much time, and uh, you get in and out. Uh, but with Van Helsing, and especially in well, season one also, like I just, I, I, I felt like I could take some time in front of the camera in a way mm. that I hadn't before. Uh, I could play around, I could try some things. I mean, and with every, with each season, I kind of became more and more comfortable with that. You know, that it's, uh, the camera is an interesting thing. I mean, I just, I talked about, about how I'm just much more comfortable on stage and the camera requires uh, different things that I don't understand, but one of them one of them is uh, um, how do I say this? Uh, well, there's a reason that there's a reason the, the camera's about. I mean, it's about it's about the way people photograph, mm. right? But it also loves eccentricity and indulgence. Like it just loves it. Mm. Um, and so when, when you, for years and years and years, what your default is and what you've been told is don't take up too much time, move through it, just get the words out and get on with it in the support of other people to actually get out of that mindset and dial it back and take the time in front of the camera and to, to indulge in that. Um, to get in there is into is, the muck of it. Yeah, and, and it's difficult, and I, it and I found it. I found it really, really difficult to to in, to indulge in that. Um, yeah, because I'm used to th- I'm used to throwing the ball. Yeah, um, and that's what I love about the business. Like what I really, what I love, whether I'm on a television set or I'm in the theater, is collaborating with people yeah. because I really don't know what I'm doing. Hmm. I'm, I'm only this. I'm only this very small part of the story, and and I don't want to come in and just do what I do. I want to yeah. come in and say, "Well, this is what I have to offer. What do you think?" And I, 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 I need that. That's part of that's part of my process is working with other people. And and a lot of people aren't interested in that. I mean, I heard Peter Deloise talk about you know the the undirectable actors mm-hmm. and the <laughs> actors who come in and they don't want anything. And and I, 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 and part of me wishes I was one of those people that I just came in and I was like, 
I know what I'm going to do. This I'm is take what I have space. to this offer. This is what I have to yeah. offer. This is who I am. This is what you're getting. Yeah. But I'm not like I, I'm. I'm the guy who's like, what do you got? What do you got for me? Uh, what did you think about that? And when I did this, what? Um, uh, yeah. So that I mean, again, going back to the theater, that's what I love about the theater is that sense of collaboration that you can have. And when and I got to experience that a little bit on Van Helsing. I mean, this I is. I mean, look again, at the people you were collaborating with as well. You know, like. Alex Ponovic, Rakia Bernard, you know, I have Kelly Overton. Kelly Overton. And then yeah. one of my greatest friends in the world is David Cubitt, who was yes. on that show for uh, eight episodes. Yeah. And, and we've done a bunch of stuff in the past. And he's, you know, he's one of my, my one of my family's closest friends. Uh, and so to get to go to work with him every day, we used to just look at each other and go, this is the best fucking job ever. Yeah. Like, we just <laughs> went to work. We couldn't believe it. We'd, we'd, we'd eat lunch together. We'd work together. We'd drive to work together. We'd drive home together. It was just like, we, it was, we were like kids. <laughs> well, that's what I realized doing that show. Yeah. You know, uh, to, to take things, uh, to take things back to, to your, to your very first question. I realized when I was doing Van Helsing that this is the job that the 10 year old me would have died for. Yeah. Like I was just like, oh my God, I'm doing, I'm doing what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old. Yeah. That being said, that's also the, look at that. I'm like, I'm, I'm interviewer and interviewee all at once. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you're saving me a but, lot of work right <laughs> now. I'm just, I'm more, I'm just the audience member, really. But I realized <laughs> when I was thinking about coming here and talking to you and after listening to all these amazing interviews that you've been doing, I realized that I've been doing this job since I was 10 years old. Mm. And how ridiculous. Like imagine thinking back to ideas you had when you were 10 yeah. and still believing in them and still doing them. Like that's what I'm doing. It's like who who makes a decision at 10 that they want to do at 50? I don't know. It's it's bizarre. It's a I mean it's a I think it's a gift. I think a lot goes back to your mother or a curse. as well. Well, I mean, it's all about perspective. <laughs> it it's is. like how I love challenges to be overcome. Right. But you know, I mean, that, I mean, you talked about timing and luck as well. You know, and but that you had a mother who was an artist who recognized something and gave you the space to do that. I mean, that's uh, you know, but you wouldn't have gotten far if you weren't committed to doing the work and if there wasn't you know the that spark that was there innate within you as well. So you got to give yourself a bit of credit. Okay, I will. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, We've talked about the 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 joy of going to work on Van Helsing, but I want to talk a bit more about Flesh himself because I mean, what a dynamic, tortured character. I mean, as an audience member, I mean, it was he's one of my favorites. You know, I'd be like, oh, what's he going to have to go through this week? Or and then there's also you know that idea. It's like, is he is he a hero? I'm not sure how I feel about him. You know, right. and and to be put in the position that he was. You know, the lot of stuff that was that wasn't his own and then to watch him lose it like tell me about your relationship with uh with the material you know and the journey that i mean okay first of all a script arrives you get the script for the next episode what was your first reaction you know every time you you would learn about what they were going to put poor flesh through well season one i was uh <laughs> season one every script we got was ju it was like uh, it was uh, we were like kids in in a candy store um uh, it, it was really amazing seeing where that was all going, what Simon and Neil were were doling out every week. <laughs> um, and and truthfully, I think in season two, 
for me, the they they had a my the the Phil's function was really was really completed in season one. Oh, um, interesting. If I, I, I felt. And I felt like they had they kind of had trouble in season two with what they wanted us to do. They they sent us off on this kind of quest to find Vanessa, which never happened. And I I, I got the sense that they weren't really sure how to use us in season two. Um, and then that ended up in. Neil came to came to us one day. I, I'm, when I say us, I'm talking about Andrea Ware, who played my partner, mm-hmm. Lucky, um, Lucky Wells, uh, and they great name, <laughs> an incredible name. Uh, he came to us and said, "I think you know we got to have some some rigor in the van- vampire apocalypse, and we need some some people to die at the end of the next episode, and I think it's going to be you guys." And I went, "Come on, man." <laughs> Come on, what are you talking about? Do you know how hard it is to get a TV show, Neil? Like, you can't, can't, can't kill me? And, and he said, well, you know, I think we, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what'll happen. I don't know what'll happen. I've heard similar stories from Ponovic. Like, did, like Neil just like tore his truth from a place of, you know, friendship or whatever. But there's a little bit of like sadistic, like, I don't know if you're going to live or die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's Neil's whole thing. <laughs> Um, I, and I'm I having, love that aspect as a, of a viewer, though. It was always devastating. But yeah, I'm having a hard yeah. time answering your question in some ways because, um, oh, what am I trying to say? I guess personally, story-wise, I felt a little let down in season two. I felt like season one, and you know that that's. There's so they're they're trying to take care of so many people. They've got yeah. a, the, the writers' room. There's there's this huge picture that I'm not privy to. So yeah. when they're they're they were working hard in all sorts of different ways, and I think that we just our story it was just it was like what do we do? Like maybe we should have maybe we should have left them at the uh, at Micah's farm yeah, where with all the yeah yeah. Where yeah, <laughs> with those people, with those people, uh, the survivors, the the survivors. <laughs> so, but we they couldn't leave us there, right? Because the vampires showed up there. You see, you see, I'm at a disadvantage also because you've watched these episodes and I've never seen the show. <laughs> it's amazing to me. Yeah, it is amazing to me. I, I and I wonder how your perspective on your story. And on and on flesh would change, you I know. know, if you were watching, you know, because how it all comes together. I know. I have the I last have, line of storytelling is, you know, the editing. And I have no perspective on the show because I don't watch it, and yeah. because of the stuff that we're talking about, we I did four years ago, yeah. and I, I, and when I was in it, I I was excited and present and involved, yeah. and then. Then, then it's gone. Yeah. So. Well, I, one thing I am curious about, because I know Van Helsing, uh, the cast got to go to San Diego Comic Con, and uh, as somebody who is, uh, I mean, and frankly, any Vancouver production listening who gets invited, invite me, please. I will come with you because I want to go and watch it from the perspective of you know the the participating artists who are there to interact with the with the fans. So can you tell me about your experience at Comic-Con and what you what you learned about like the craft and the art from talking to fans? 
I wish we were uh, wish we had a camera, a video podcast. Well, uh, okay, so um, uh, uh, radical honesty. We landed in San Diego. I got in an Uber to go to the hotel, mm-hmm. and I arrived, and I was fucking horrified. It, I, I didn't know what I was signing up for, and it was like Las Vegas times a million yeah. to me, and it was just people everywhere, and uh, it was just mad, like not my scene yeah. at all. It does not seem like a um, scene. It, it was it was not my scene, and there were and there were just millions. It felt like millions of people who were just rabid for uh, this content. So I found it, I found it completely disorienting. Yeah, um, but was it? off-putting or like because you because I mean a lot of the people who are there are people who who live for the work like who I, live to I, consume they're like work vamp they're vampires I can honestly say I had almost no contact with uh fans oh okay. like almost no contact whatsoever and that was we were in a big we were in a big hall okay and we did a panel um, and my flight was late, so I only showed up for like the last fifteen minutes of the panel. So I like I didn't even have that interaction with oh, with uh, okay. with uh, the, the the watchers of the show. Um, and then we and then you're well, you know what these junkets are like. Then you're 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 everybody's taken with publicists and 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 handlers, and you're taken into this room for, two for photographs. There, yes, and you've got yeah. these speed dating and photographs, and and everywhere we went, they'd be like, "Let's get the cast in for a photograph," and then and then they would say to me, "No, no, 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 just the cast, just the cast." Oh, oh. And this happened constantly. I don't know. I don't know whether I give off a a producer vibe or I don't know what it is, but it was just like, "No, no, no, just the cast," and I was like, "I'm yeah." I'm in the cast. So um, it was it was cool, but really, like, that experience for me was, like, I went to San Diego. Uh, there were a million people. I My flight was late. I had a great dinner with the casting crew. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and then I had a bunch of drinks, and then I got on a plane and I came home. So I, I'm not... I'm not the best person <laughs> to ask about San Diego Comic-Con. Well, and yet, I mean, that's also very, very revealing as well because I'm sure you're not the only, the only actor who's had that kind of experience and that feeling of fish out of water and that feeling of like, I mean, was there a sense of like, why am I even here? Or I can do the work without having to do this? Yeah, I mean, what I, what I love, what I enjoyed about San Diego was just, having that experience just seeing what that was That's because what I wanted because to we too. hear about it and you should have it you really should have it and when i see all this stuff you should <laughs> definitely have it like you you i would go in costume oh well i, I, I would it, cosplay it's incredible for sure but it's like going to the peony on a sunday or a saturday night yeah uh times a thousand it's just like you can't move and i don't do you like that do you like that kind of I don't, there's... I, I mean, on one hand, I'm not into crowds, and we're 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 speaking during a week when there is a lot of talk about pandemic, so super not into crowds right, right now. But but on the other hand, you know, you we talk about, I mean, you were talking about the magic and of what you do, and I, I find something very magical about being around passionate fans, you know? Like, even if I'm not 
part of a specific fandom. I love being around around people who are passionate right. about something, you know, and and I feel like in a lot of ways the work that I do is I I get to be their proxy in a lot of ways and to have the the kind of conversations, you know, with the people that they that they don't get to have. Right. So, I think that like, I do you know, I mean, you you wrote to Tom Baker, you know, I, I wrote to the cast of Star Trek The Next right. Generation. You know, like I, I wrote to I wrote to Gillian Anderson. Like I I I was that that fan and so the work I do is kind of an extension yeah, right. of that. So yeah, I think that I I think that I would although not into crowds. So well, if there's you a should way have that, that I could... experience. I don't think you can do it without the crowds, <laughs> yeah. believe you me. But I mean, and there are people who are incredible at it, right? Like like the big man. Yeah. And Michael Eklund, like those guys are they're out there. They they are uh, they're connecting yeah. with people in an amazing way. People people don't they they really they n- nobody messages me nobody nobody I, and I don't I, I I'm 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 happy I just I think I'm happy I'm, about that it's, I'm it's like poor fine. flesh no no, no but I threw so much <laughs> shot himself in front of the head jumped off a building like I'm so I ugh, the things that you had to go through on that I know but no yeah, people just pity me they don't want to. <laughs> communicate with me okay that's ridiculous and i'm speaking <laughs> I'm as joking. a person who was so excited to have you in here today um i hope i haven't disappointed you oh, fuck, i'm so disappointed i might not it might be six months before you won't I use this. this no it's it's totally never gonna release it never just dead ever. in the water are you a fan of any like like is there is there something that you're a fan of oh i'm a big fan of music like okay i'm, a, I'm i love live music love recordings music. i love recordings i have a you know, I have a little sound system, and I buy a lot of vinyl, and I, I'm, I'm I just love love music. I mean, I, I I would say that arguably that's also why I'm an actor because I was given a record player and an Elvis Presley record for my fifth birthday, and when I heard Heartbreak Hotel, like I just didn't understand anything yeah. anymore. Like that's really what I wanted to do. And I played a lot of music as a child, and and part of me wishes I had. I mean, and I I still. I, I have guitars and I still, I I play to amuse myself. But um, uh, you know, I, a big part of me wishes I'd spent more time seriously playing music. Well, there's still time. Yeah, there is. You're absolutely yeah. right. I just just have, have to make the choice. I just have to make <laughs> the choice. You have to make the choice. Is there a a type of role that you you haven't played yet that you yearn to play? Again, that's a difficult question because I don't really. I listened to Gabrielle Rose's podcast, <laughs> and I think she took a very long time answering this question. Wow! And she you said really? that she was going to defer, if I remember correctly. She said, "I, I, I defer that that, that question," <laughs> um, and I think I might also. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm I just upset don't... that you've listened to so much of the podcast. And you're Why? taking your cues from Gabrielle Rose. <laughs> Want people to come in here having not listened? <laughs> no, I'm very grateful that you that you've listened. Well, that's great stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think <laughs> of it in terms. I don't really think. I don't really think of it in terms of roles. I would love to do this. What I, you know, what I would love to do is I would love to. I'd love to do a Harold Pinter play mm. someday. 
I'd love to do another Tom Stoppard play. I'd like to do a David Hare play. Like, I'd like to do another Mammoth play. Uh, you're, you're pretty much programming a whole season right now of, right. of incredible plays. There's, there's writers whose words I'd like to say, and it kind of goes back to mm. what we talked about earlier, where I really feel like what my job is uh, is to transmit these words, these ideas that that writers have, yeah. and and there's real there's a real beauty in that. There's this Stoppard quote um, from a play I did, and and he says, um, uh, "I don't think writers are sacred, but words are. If you oh. get the right ones in the right order, you can nudge the world a little bit." Or make a poem that children will say for you when you're dead. And I love that. Yeah, it's and to me that sort of says everything. It's just it's about it's about the transmission of ideas and you know and we're talking these playwrights that I'm talking about. These are giants. These are the thinkers, the philosophers, the poets of our time. And yeah. so um, I'm I'm as you have. Witnessed. I'm more comfortable when I have someone else's words to say. I have not witnessed that at all. <laughs> what a joy this has been. Uh, and, and we are coming to the end of our time in the TARDIS. Uh, but you have listened to the show, so you're probably expecting this question. Oh, I'm uh, not. Oh, because we always begin and end with time travel. Uh, going back, we're in the TARDIS. We're going back to Glasgow, we're going back to your home, back to when you were nine, and you are get a minute to give nine-year-old you some advice or words of wisdom. What do you say? Or do you not say anything at all? Because that's an option too. Well, if I was to do anything to disrupt the time continuum, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be married to Jennifer, yeah, and I wouldn't be Max's dad, yeah. Uh, so I think I think I would. I think I'd just watch unbearable little nine-year-old Vincent yeah <laughs> and and I just enjoy that moment yeah and I don't think I'd say anything I love that during that that pause I could see you picturing yourself and see you <laughs> <laughs> you looking at nine-year-old you I was imagining that happening yeah yeah, because every word matters, right? You know, to go back and change, especially if you if you love your life and the things that have happened along the way. As you do, you clearly do. You don't want to disrupt that. Yeah. I will ask, though. Okay. Follow-up question. Advice to emerging actors, people just entering the business right now. <sighs> Because they they ha they don't have a time space continuum. No, they don't. <laughs> to be disrupted, it's all fresh. Hmm. 
I would say to young actors in Vancouver, uh, seek out good teachers mm -hmm. and mentors because there are many of them here. Surround yourself with people who tell you the truth. Mm. And read great playwrights and scriptwriters and see cinema and mm. theater. That's good advice. Thanks. For all of us. <laughs> You'll come back, right? I would love to. And we, we are getting another mic. Maybe you could you could come back with somebody. Who'd you want to come with? You know maybe I'd, Dave maybe David Cuban? I would like that very much. <laughs> I would love that, yeah. Maybe my wife. Oh, I would love that. You should definitely have Jennifer on this show. Yeah. I was also thinking when I was listening to them that you should have um you should have couples on like Rothgar and Gabrielle and yeah. Jen and I like you should do you could do a whole season with Peter and Anne Marie yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly couples in the business oh my gosh I love and that is one of my favorite things is to watch couples interact right you know at parties and stuff but I was thinking more like you, you know those things that uh the Hollywood Reporter does around Oscar time where yeah. they have like you know all the nominees on a couch and so you do like but get like three couples or four couples I love that yeah no and actually we have some things in the works I'm sure you do I'm yeah. sure you do you're a go-getter I oh not always but for some things in some areas for sure yeah but the sink filled with dishes or the the clean laundry that needs to be put away oh and there's the the math school being all mathy right now perfect timing. Great timing perfect timing okay vincent gale where can our fans find you on the social media don't even bother <laughs> don't bother please don't look at me watch the work but don't look find me i on have a twitter media. account you but I, I very rarely use it i feel embarrassed uh, uh uh speaking on twitter i will retweet lots of stuff that i find about music and film and and actors and things that I like, but uh, I, I, I'm spending less time on it because I just feel better when I'm not there. Twitter is not real life. That's something that I've had to really remind myself. And it's very clear, you know, during the different political cycles, both in Canada and all around the world, yeah. Twitter is not real life. What is it that, that Jennifer says? Just because you feel something to, to make mean, it true. Yeah. yeah, so that Twitter kind of gives me that same kind of vibe. However... Uh, if people watch your content. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I, I don't know how Twitter works. It's like, I think I'm Vincent Quigley. Yes, you are. That's all I wanted you to say. <sighs> to go out pulling teeth. <laughs> all right, and you will retweet this episode. So, and honestly, I will put a link to, to Vincent's social media handle in the footnotes for this episode. This was absolutely delightful very cool thank yeah, you yeah thank you all right and to our fans we thank you please like and subscribe and leave us a review if you're so inclined they help us find even more listeners you can find us at www i feel like i need to rush because the hammering www.yvrscreenscene.com you can follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram at yvr screen scene the yvr screen scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me 
Sabrina Furminger. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad. And to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger. We are a family business for technical support. And to Dane, not Furminger, Devalet for the original music. Why Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!